Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, do now help us. To consider the one who was on the old rugged cross now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, if you'd please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and uh, starting verse 1 here. These are, this is the scripture uh, to set before us now as we, uh, just before we have the privilege of the Lord's, uh, to partaking in the Lord's Supper. So John chapter 18, verse 1, John 18, 1, which reads, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. That's the title of the message. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. And said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as then, as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. So here what we have, we've come now to the beginning of the great event. This is the great event of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his self-sacrifice for our sins. It's so interesting to see how this all began because it was night. It was late at night. It was the night, it was the time of the Passover. It was the night of the Passover. So that meant that it was a full moon. That's when Passover is. It's lit up there there, where they were by a full moon. What a night that was. I mean, what a night that was to become. Because on that night, the Lord had had the Passover meal as a celebration with his disciples. And at that meal, when he took the cup of wine as we had already had, as was customary in the Passover meals, the prayer of thanksgiving for the wine, the typical prayer of thanks for the wine, the Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Olam, Berei Prihagafen, the blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who made to come fruit from the fruit of the vine from the ground. That's what he prayed. And that was the prayer of giving thanks for the wine. That prayer has been said for thousands of years 
since the Passover was started. At every Passover, every one at the table expected that prayer to be said. That prayer was said as it was in every Jewish family, the prayer, the blessing of the wine. But then there was the shock. Then there was the surprise at all at the table because he said something else that gave the Passover the long-awaited meaning when he said in Luke twenty-two nineteen, Luke twenty-two nineteen, where it says he took bread and gave thanks and, and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after the supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So when he said that, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, everyone at the table must have been stunned as they thought, that's not part of the normal prayer for the wine. That's something new. That's not part of the thanksgiving for the wine. And with that addition, lights came on. Lights came on as everyone in the table now realized the real meaning behind the Passover wine. It was a symbol. It was a reminder of the blood of the Passover Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. What a night that was. What a Passover that was. What a Passover meal that was. And because of that night, he explained that the Passover wine symbolized his blood that was shed for man. And it all happened on that night. And then on that night, he prayed his prayer of preparation. That's in John 17, the chapter before. This is the prayer of preparation. This is like the final talk that the boxer has with his coach before he enters into the ring for the combat. There he was. He was the contester. He was the contester for the salvation of our souls. He was our David meeting Goliath. There was the Lord Jesus knowing that just he's, he's right at that point where he's just about to enter into the ring of combat for us. And what does he do? What does a boxer do before he next enters the ring? He has a final talk with his coach. He has a final talk with his trainer. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that the next is going to happen to him. He's going to enter that ring of combat. He's having his final talk with his trainer coach, his heavenly father. And he starts off in John chapter 17, 1. John 17, 1. He starts off with his final talk. And he says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come to glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. He's lived all his life on earth for this moment, and we can see him starting his final talk with his trainer coach by saying, Father, the hour is come. It's what I've prepared for. It's what I've trained for. It's now here. What a night that was, as that was the night of his final talk with his father before the conflict began. And then on that night, he comes as he had so many times before he comes, he, he heads off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see him there in, in this first verse of John 18. John 18, 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron, where there was a garden into the which he entered with his disciples. Now, he said his final words with the Father. He comes with his disciples. He comes to the brook Kidron. That's a stream that flowed on the outside of the eastern wall of Jerusalem. He crosses over the brook Kidron. He thinks 
what the name means as he crosses over it. Kidron means Black Brook. Why is it called the Black Brook? Because it was the stream into which the city of Jerusalem essentially dumped their waste. And he thinks of all the waste of Jerusalem being thrown into that brook Kidron. And he thinks of how soon he will have the waste placed on him, as it says in Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All the waste of the iniquity of us all would soon be placed on him. And it's called the Black Brook because it was the brook also that flowed with the blood of the sacrifices from the altar. From the altar, there was a channel that was made and the blood just flowed in that channel into the brook. And they called it the Black Brook, Kidron. And as he thinks of the blood from the altar flowing into that brook that he's crossing over, he thinks of how soon his blood is going to flow from him to the ground. And he passes over this brook Kidron, and he comes to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he thinks again the meaning of the name Gethsemane, which means olive press, olive press. He sees in his mind the healthy olives being crushed, being pressed to yield their precious oil, olive oil for man. And he thinks of how soon he's going to be crushed. He's going to be pressed for the benefit of man. And he goes forth and he enters into that garden. And as he enters into the garden of Gethsemane, we're told that Judas also knew that that garden was his regular retreat. Now the betrayer arrives. He's got a band of men with him, as it says in verse 3. And Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests of Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Here's a great group, probably made up of men from the chief priests, probably Roman soldiers who were also given to that group of leaders there dispatched for the temple. And as he sees the Jews, he sees the Romans, they're together, and he thinks of normally... The Jews and the Romans didn't agree on anything. But now, as he sees the Jews and the Romans apprehending him, he understands that there's one area in which they are all united, and it's in their opposition to him. And he sees that they've all come out with lanterns and torches and weapons, and he thinks, there's no need for that. There's no need for lanterns. and It's a full moon. It's a full moon. He sees the weapons. And he says to himself, there's no need for weapons. No one's going to use any weapons to defend him. And now he knows that Judas has a great group of men. He knows all this. And he still goes forward in verse 6. Jesus, verse 4, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as they had, had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Just like an unsuspecting, innocent, simple lamb, he asked the group, whom seek ye? And he asked, and as he asked that question, he knows that they've come to arrest him. But he asked the question, whom seek ye? He uses the same word that he used to express his whole life mission here on earth. 
It's been dedicated, his life has been dedicated to Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10 where he said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he sees this great group of men. They're coming into the garden to seek him. He thinks of how he has come to earth to seek each one of them, to seek each one of their lost souls, and now they're seeking him. And only they came seeking him to destroy him, but he came seeking them to save them from their sins. And they reply to his question, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. That was not the name of respect as when he was called by others, Lord or Lord Jesus. That was not the name that honored him as the promised Messiah, as others, as it would have been if he would have been called Jesus of Bethlehem, the birthplace of the Messiah. That was not the, aim that, that, the name there that, that, that honored him as Jesus, the son of David, as when the city had just honored him when he came into Jerusalem as the king, and they worshiped him, and they said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hail thou son of David. Oh, no, not now. Now it's Jesus of Nazareth, because Nazareth was a despised city. It was a slum town, totally the opposite of the honor and the beauty of Jerusalem. To express him like that, to say Jesus of Nazareth, was to say Jesus of the despised city of Nazareth, Jesus of the slum town of Nazareth. And the Lamb of God, he didn't resist that name of Jesus of Nazareth. He accepted it. As he said in, in, in verse 5, I am, I am. He accepted that derogatory name because he knew that was his calling. As it says of him in Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. He, he accepted this name of derision because it says of him in 1 Peter 2.23, 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He accepted this name of derision, Jesus of Nazareth, because as it says in Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. But when he acknowledged who he was, he didn't say, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He just simply said, I am. And when he said that, those simple words, I am, he gave that great name, his great name of the almighty God that he'd given to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14, when he as Jehovah Jesus said, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. So instead of hearing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the men heard this great name of I am. And when they heard that, they all fell backwards. That was the start of the battle. That was the beginning of the conflict. So before the conflict started, before he asked them who they were seeking, there's a wonderful statement in verse 4. Wonderful statement in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? That's a wonderful statement. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, 
went forth. And then in the remaining time that we've got here, we want to just sort of meditate a little bit on what were the all things that Jesus knew that was going to come of, come on him that he went forward into. So let's consider a little bit. Let's consider just some of the things that he knew. Even though he knew them, he decided to go forward. First, he knew the pain of the physical hurt that he was going to suffer. He knew it all. You know, we don't know the details of the tragedies that we're going to face in life, and it's a good thing we don't. We don't know them before they happen. We don't know the details, and that's the mercy of God that we don't know. But this verse tells us he did. The Lord Jesus did know what was going to happen to him, and that made the Lord facing his tragedy different from us. This statement means that the Lord knew all the details of the physical pain that he's going to suffer. He knew the names of all the men that would bring this suffering to him. He knew the name of the first man who grabbed him. He knew the names of the men who would put the hood over his face. He knew the name, he knew the names of the men who would terrorize him by striking him in the face as, as he was covered. He knew what each person looked like because he made them. And he knew the pain that they would inflict on him as they struck him in the face, as they spit in his face, and then pulled out the hairs from his beard. He knew the whip of the cat of nine tails, the broken pieces of bone and, and metal. And what, he knew what that whip looked like. He knew the pain of each stroke that it would cause him as it ripped the skin from his back. He knew, the, he knew how long the thorns were on the crown of thorns that were made for him to put on. He knew how hard they would be pounded into his skull and the pain that that would cause. He knew how far above the ground the cross was going to be hoisted up before it was let to drop into the earth that would dislocate every joint in his body. He knew the size and the roughness of the nails that would be driven into his hands, driven into his feet, tearing his flesh and his ligaments. He knew how hot it was going to be on that day and how thirsty he would become that would cause him to eventually die of dehydration. And knowing all these details, knowing all the details of his physical suffering, he still makes the conscious decision to go forward to save us from our sins. Then he knew another pain, not a physical pain, but a soul pain, the, soul of the, the pain of being abandoned by his friends. He knew that. It's a terrible feeling to need friends to stand by you in the time of your need and then to see your friends walk away, leave, abandon you in your, in your need. That's what we read happened to the Lord in Psalm 69.20. Psalm 69.20 says, Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And we can feel his pain from being abandoned when he says things like, I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Knowing that he would be abandoned by his friends, he still went forward to save us from our sins. Then he knew the pain of the shame, the pain of the mockery, the pain. He knew that they were going to say, he saved others himself he cannot save. If God is delighted with him, let him save him. He knew that. And when it said in 6920, Psalm 6920, 
that reproach had broken his heart. That means that he was put to shame, that he was put to mockery, and that was so painful for him. And yet knowing that he would face the pain of the shame and the mockery, he still decided to go forward. He went forth. Fourth, he knew the pain of being separated from God. He knew that he was going to suffer that. Having become the sin offering for us, God had to turn away his face. And that was the most painful of all. It was the only time on the cross that he cried. From the old rugged cross, that was the only time he cried out. Psalm 22.1, Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. He knew the pain that it was going to come to him from being separated from God, and he still decides to go forward to save us from our sins. Fifth, he knew the pain of the ultimate rejection of his people. That hurt him. When he came to earth, he was like an arrow that was directed toward the Jewish people. He said that, in Matthew 15:24 Matthew 15:24 he answered and said I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel it meant so much who he was sent to what he was sent to do he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and sadly when he came to the Jewish people the record states simply he came unto his own and his own received him not that was painful for him That was painful for him to have his own people reject him. And yet knowing that, he still went forward to become our savior. And then there was a pain of just not being able to achieve the goal that God gave him. And that hurt. There was another, that was a pain when Israel rejected him. That was one pain. But there was another pain when he knew he disappointed God the Father And he expressed that pain and that frustration in Isaiah 49.4. Isaiah 49.4. Then I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord. My work is with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. And my God shall be my strength. He knew the pain of disappointing his father, he still went forth to save us. So having known all this pain, he knew all this pain, he knew all these things, he went forth through his death to pay for our sins and to bring us to heaven. God forbid that the Lord's Supper should become a routine. God forbid that there's not a freshness to every Lord's Supper. So this morning, let's make the freshness be Repeating the words of verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. Let's pray. Lead us on now, Lord, to your supper in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. 
Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scantibodies Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com.